When Jesus had been baptized, then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. Then the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus said, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, and he placed him atop the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot even against a stone. Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took Jesus and led him up a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said, all this could be yours if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, and again, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. When he said this, then the devil departed from Jesus and angels came and waited on him. The gospel of the Lord. I decided this time around, this scripture comes up a lot, that I've always given the devil, the tempter, in this pretty popular scriptural story, more credit than he might deserve. I mean, the story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan has always seemed to me like a depiction of some cosmic, sweeping, grand battle of wit and wisdom between the powers of good and evil, between the Son of God and the personification of all wickedness, between the source of all light and goodness and the depth of all darkness and sin. I have imagined and seen many and various depictions, movies, paintings, television miniseries even, Sunday school flannel boards and coloring books of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that have fed this grandiosity over the years. Maybe you have seen some of these too. So in my mind, it is as if Jesus leaves the safe, comfortable confines of Capernaum, his hometown in Galilee. He's led out into the wilderness of some expansive desert, sand, dust, dry, scorching heat, or maybe it's an oppressively dark forest like the haunted one in The Wizard of Oz with all those talking trees. I don't know. And as if in some kind of a time machine or a whirlwind or a cloud or a pillar of fire, perhaps maybe a magic carpet, he gets transported from place to place with the devil in tow for these moments of temptation, these otherworldly tests of his will to do battle with a force, to duke it out with an adversary, the very prince of darkness. And then famished, after a 40-day fast, Jesus is tempted to turn stones to bread. With a chance to prove maybe he could fly, Jesus is tempted to leap from the very top of the temple in the Jerusalem and to be rescued by angels. 
With a bird's eye view of the whole wide world, he's given the option to rule over all of it. And each time, rather than take the bait, Jesus proves not only his resolve and his restraint and his faithfulness, he proves how well he knows his scripture. It is written, one does not live by bread alone. It is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, worship God and only God. And when it's all said and done, when he's passed every test, when he has resisted whatever the devil can dish out, I imagine Jesus wiping the sweat from his brow, maybe collapsing in a heap like Rocky Balboa in the corner of the ring after a fight, being tended to by angels, fed and nourished, satiated with a cold drink, his feet washed, his shoulders massaged, fanned perhaps by the cool breeze of 10,000 angel wings. And I've imagined Satan, too, disappearing in a cloud of thick darkness or being swallowed up by an earthquake, descending to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth from whence he came, maybe with an everlasting roar of anger and rage, maybe with a shaking of fists and a belch of fire, certainly with his proverbially pointed tail slithering between his legs. But what if I've been overthinking it? What if we've made more of these temptations? Too much of this wilderness and of the ways Jesus is tested by all the evil that surrounded him. What if, like so much else in Scripture, the special effects get in the way of the story? And what if all that makes it hard to find the meaningful place where the rubber of it all meets the road of our lives of faith in this world? I mean, I've never known real hunger. So stones to bread isn't something I'd find all that tempting or possible. I have a very real legitimate fear of heights. So that stunt from the pinnacle of the temple is never going to happen. And I am no Vladimir Putin, so ruling over all the nations is not my thing. So if you and I are supposed to find some common ground with Jesus today, if all this temptation stuff is supposed to have meaning for us, maybe we can think differently about it for a change. Maybe it's smaller and closer to home than I've imagined all these years. What if the devil in the wilderness, what if all those tests aren't as cosmic or as confounding as the magic of turning stones to bread? or as dramatic as a swan dive from the top of the temple, or as sweeping as world domination? What if the devil in our wilderness, with all those questions, with the many and various ways over the course of any given day that we're tempted to follow the wrong path, to choose the wrong, to opt for darkness rather than light, what if our tempter is less like a fire-breathing snake with a pitchfork and more like a toddler following us around the grocery store, pestering us with questions about every little thing. 
until we buckle under the weight of that persistence. Doesn't it seem like that's more the way temptation weasels its way into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives in this world? Small things. Things we can justify or excuse or ignore until we can't anymore. Even the big stuff that tempts the most desperate addict can happen in seemingly insignificant increments. Whether it's food or alcohol, pornography or nicotine, the temptations come. One nibble, one sip, one click, one puff at a time, don't they? But our temptations don't have to be so tangible or so obvious or so immediately destructive as all that. Maybe it's that little white lie we tell or the gossip we engage or that angry outburst or that deliberate selfish disengagement from someone who needs our attention and we know it. Maybe it's the selfishness or the pride known only to us, to God, and to the tempter himself. There are as many temptations to choose something other than the God-pleasing faithfulness we long for as there are people in this room and seconds in a day. Big, small, and everywhere in between. So what if Jesus' temptation to turn stones into bread is for us not about satiating our own hunger after a 40-day fast, but what if it's about a call to consider using our abundance and our excess to share bread with the world? What if Jesus' temptation to leap from the temple isn't about seeing if God will rescue us from our next emergency, but more about an invitation to remember and to trust that we're already being saved right where we are in the midst of whatever stress and struggle befalls us? What if Jesus' temptation for power isn't about ruling the world for the likes of you and me, but what if instead it's about how we treat our kids or our classmates our spouses or our neighbors, our colleagues and our co-workers or our fellow cross-aggressors even? What if the temptation to stand on that very high mountain, able to see and to long for all that is not ours, is really about simply being grateful to enjoy the view for a change? I guess what I'm saying is that in these Lenten days, as we try to focus more deliberately on our journey of discipleship, as we make our proverbial walk to the cross of Good Friday, and as we hope for the good news of Easter's resurrection, that all of this can seem so big, so grandiose, so out of reach and out of touch and out of this world, sometimes, but that it's supposed to matter here and now, day to day, 
right where we live. And the choices we make right where we live might seem small in the moment and insignificant by comparison to what we read about in Jesus' temptations. And that may make them easy to dismiss or disregard as having any great consequence for us or for others. But this time around, I'm reminded that that is not the case. Today's story shows us that Jesus chose sacrifice so that we can too. Jesus chose to be vulnerable so that we could choose that too. Jesus chose humility and faithfulness and the ways of God so that we could choose those things too. And in the days ahead, Jesus will keep showing us that. Even when we can't or even when we won't or even when we do not always choose what's right or best or most faithful, God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness choose us every time anyway. Amen.